0: back in time and have a do-over. If there's a season of your life or a moment in your life or something, if you could go back in time, just one thing, you only get to pick one and do that over. Knowing what you know now, thinking, oh, I wish I would have known then. What, What would that be? I was in fourth grade and our teacher, Miss Commendo, found out that she had cancer. And it was early in the school year, so she was going to have to take the rest of the year off. And we got a substitute. And this substitute happened to be a young lady that I think had just finished college. And this was going to be her first teaching role. And it wasn't just for a day. She was going to be there for the rest of the year. And on her first day, we were, we were in the cafeteria, fourth grade, nine years old. And somebody, I think it was Jamie Sanford, somebody threw spaghetti at me. And so in that moment, I had the thought, oh, no, no, no. And I picked up my chocolate milk and I threw the container at him. It was already open. And as I threw it, Jamie was a little guy, but he was pretty quick. He moved, and that container of chocolate milk hit Miss Swope right here. She that day was wearing a light linen white blouse. And I knew I made a mistake, but I also got an education at nine years old. <laughs> and I had to deal with it the rest of the year. She's the teacher the rest of the year. But I'm not talking about stuff like that. I'm not talking about stuff like, oh, my goodness, that, that was so stupid. I'm talking about the stuff that you don't want to talk about. Where if you knew then what you know now, you would navigate that day, that moment, that relationship, that season So much differently now, if you could just go back in time, that that one time, maybe it was something that you you did that you regret and you wish you could take back, something you said that somehow you wish you could take back, or maybe it was something you knew that you should have done, and, and now you're just filled with, man, if I had just known then what I know now. One of the amazing things about our God is He removes any possibility of, I wish I'd known then what I know now. When this life is over, if you're a Christ follower and you're going to spend eternity in heaven, there's not going to be that moment when you get to heaven of, oh, I wish I'd known then what I know now. He he lays everything out so you don't have that moment. In fact, it might be a moment of a whole lot of told you so's, but it won't be, I wish I knew then what I know now. If it is, I wish I knew then what I knew now, that's on you and me. What is it that if you wish you could go back, you would do it differently? If you had bought $1,000 in Apple stock in 1980, today you would have almost $300,000. $1,000 in, in 1980. Some of you weren't born, but some of you were. Or, or some of you are like, man, if my parents would have just bought $1,000 in stock in Apple in 1980 for me, that would be amazing. Or, or Peterfield in 2005 invested $500,000 in Facebook. Seven years later, 2012, he sold 80 percent for over 400 million dollars. Now you might not have 500,000 to invest. If you do, if you do, you need to start tithing. We'll talk about that later. But, but, I like, I get it. But, but that kind of return on the investment, or, or maybe you know who Asa Candler is. I didn't know that name either until Mr. Google. But Asa, Asa Candler in 1891 bought an elixir from a southern pharmacist who had this elixir and he said that this would cure headaches. It would cure any mental orders. It was some kind of special elixir that would just handle anything that was going on in your mind and relieve you of pain. The only problem is this pharmacist had chronic headaches and it did not even relieve his pain. So he sold it because it it was worthless to him but Asa Candler had a different idea in mind for this elixir so in 1891 he paid two thousand three hundred dollars for this elixir today we know that elixir is coca-cola two thousand three hundred dollars to buy coca-cola don't you wish Asa Candler was your granddad or your great granddad. I mean, there's so many things we hear about it, we read about it, and we think, oh my goodness, if if I had only, or if they had only, and how it would benefit me, man, if I could go back, or if my parents would have just done this. All of that God removes and says, Hey, I, I want you to know up front, when this life is over, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to spend forever in a place called heaven with a God who invites us to call him Father. And he says, I, I, I want you to know everything about that experience and everything you need to know to be ready for that so you don't have that moment of, I wish I'd known. So Jesus, trying to communicate this, says, let me tell you a story. It's the last in our series, Chronicles of a King, the last proverb that we're going to look at, but I think it has profound implications for you and for me. Because what we're going to talk about today will remove forever the, I wish I'd known. Luke chapter 16, the Bible says, Jesus told his disciples. So he's talking to his followers. What he's about to say, it's not for everybody. If you're not a Christ follower, you don't have to do what we're talking about. But if you are a Christ follower, this is a teaching of Jesus. This teaching is for people who are Christ followers, who are Christians, who are following what was called the way. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man, whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot manage any longer. I need you to prepare some reports for me. I'm gonna look at them and then I'm going to fire you. Verse three, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I, so I know what I'll do when I lose my job here people will welcome me into their houses I'm I'm gonna think about the long game. I'm, uh, game I'm gonna think about the next chapter next season. So he called in each of his master's debtors Quickly hurry. We don't have a lot of time get in line. I've got to talk to you. He asked the first how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil he replied the manager told him take your bill sit down quickly and make it 450 can you do that? I can do 450. Just do that, and then we'll wipe out the rest. It's okay. Do that quickly. Next. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. If you can do 800 today, we'll write off the rest. No big deal. Can you do that? Yeah, I I can do that. We should hang out sometime. I think we will. I'm about to be unemployed. That's probably going to happen. The master, now notice, notice this passage. Jesus is telling the story. Remember, it's a made-up story, but Jesus is the one telling it to drive home a spiritual truth that will always be true for all time. The master commended the dishonest manager. Wait, what? The master commended, good job, that was wise, the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. He did not commend him for being dishonest. This guy was a crook. He'd been ripping off the master. He'd been wasting the master's resources and the master's money. The master thought he was doing a good job, found out he wasn't, came to investigate. I need to see the books. Let's have a meeting. Found out he wasn't. So he's not commending him for his dishonesty. He's commending him for his shrewdness. And then Jesus makes this statement. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. The people in this world think more about consequences and what needs to be done today than people that are Christ followers as they think about eternity. People plan in this life, whether they follow Jesus or not, more for their retirement often than Jesus followers prepare for eternity. This guy sensed an urgency, and it was all about the next chapter. What what am I going to do? In light of this information, what am I going to do? And so he began to make plans so that when he lost his job, there'd be a whole lot of friends that would remember what he did for them. Hey, that guy, I don't know all the details. I don't know what happened to him. I just know he slashed my debt. I know he did me a favor. I know he was kind to me. And then Jesus said, I tell you, worldly wealth, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What does that mean? Whoever can be trusted with very little, and maybe you've heard these verses, can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And what are true riches if not worldly wealth? What is it beyond this world that's more than this world and more valuable than this world that, that afterwards we, we will think, man, I wish I would have known Jesus is saying, I'm letting you know right now. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Then he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, but he's not talking primarily about money he's talking about a condition of the heart that we all have now notice what happens the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus, the word sneering in the language means, is, means they were kind of raising their nose, kind of like looking down like, that's ridiculous they were dismissing in a way subtly mocking what Jesus was saying because they lived nothing like this they were intensely religious. They made a practice of looking down on people, and they were always chasing more money. And he said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. In that moment, Jesus is telling a story saying, hey, I'm going to talk in a positive way about a dishonest man, and I'm going to give him kudos way over highly religious people. That had to stay so what does this mean for you and for me there was a man who was wasting he was managing but in managing he was wasting and all of a sudden he came to a realization that this season is about to come to an end you're you're about to pay a price for how you've lived and the decisions you've made and in that moment rather than just thinking what can I do he does what he can do He may not be able to do much, but he does all he can do because he's thinking about the next chapter. There are two or three things I think it's helpful to remember, and if you you really want to live your best life, if you really want to chase who you were created to be and experience everything on this earth God intends for you to experience, everything he intends for me to experience, if I want that, if you want that, there's something we have to wrap our mind around and without without doing it we won't experience our best life it is essential to think like this manager because the end of your life is a myth we should plan for beyond death how many decisions do you make about next month next year your next car The next house, the next step in education, the next team, the next friendship. How much time and focus do we put on retirement? Jesus is painting a picture in this story because he's about to be gone and he's saying, hey, life is about this long and then there's forever. And we spend so much time and focus planning for right here everything is about right here. But if you're a follower of Jesus, when this life is over, you don't die. Your body is just a shell. It's temporary. You're not going to have it forever. One day, your heart will stop beating. One day, you will stop breathing. This is all just temporary. That's why some of you don't worry about working on it very much. It's just temporary. But you, the real you, who you are, you're going to live Forever, And the message that's so clear in Scripture is, you will, I will live forever in one of two places. You are going to die physically. Aren't you glad you came to church? I've had a tough week, been through a lot, got a lot of stress. I need to go hear something encouraging. You're going to (laughs) die. Write it down. Physically, you will, I will, and this life is so temporary. And Jesus is saying, we spend so much time, energy, focus, stress, worry, anxiety on this and never give a thought to this that goes on forever. So the question is, what are you doing in this that's going to matter in this? I know what you're doing now as you think about your mutual funds and your retirement account and your portfolio. I, I understand. And you're thinking about, okay, how do we save for that next vacation? And okay, we want to get to the place. We listen to Dave Ramsey. We want to pay cash for cars. How, how do we begin to position to be able to do that? All oh, that's good, 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 good. I'm, I'm proud of you. That's good. But how much time and energy do you spend on thinking beyond this? That's why he says, people of the world do much better in planning here than people who are followers of Jesus do in planning this. You might have a stock portfolio, but when you go, it's not going with you. So so what is your eternity portfolio? Because the end of your life is a myth. Can you imagine, as a parent, if we had kids, if we started telling them when they're three or four years old, hey, you're going to live to about 15. It's all you get. Fifteen, you're done. Can you imagine the moment they pass 15 and turn 16 and 17 and think, I didn't pay attention in school. I didn't do, I, I, I didn't do anything. I didn't worry about friendships because I, I thought it was all going to be done. How cruel would that be as a parent? And yet, in how we live, we often lead by example to our kids. This is all there is. This is all that matters. Make sure you get that great education and chase that job and pursue the six figures and live in this kind of neighborhood and drive this kind of car and only have these kinds of friends because we we teach them by what we say and how we live. This is all there is. And we mean well, but I'm afraid we're creating a legacy of destruction. How much do they hear you talk about this? How much emphasis is there in your home on this? Another thing I notice the only investments that really count are people. The only investments that really count are people. And as followers of Christ, everything God blesses with us with in this life. We are to use it, we are to enjoy it, but ultimately the greatest use of what God blesses me with is not what I do with it during this. It's how I use it to impact this. I'm glad you're going to heaven if you're a Christ follower. That's amazing. It's a big deal. You don't want to go the other place. I heard it's hot there. That's awesome. But I think one of the greatest tragedies is to go to heaven and get there and arrive and look around and nobody is there that you brought. What are you doing in this to impact somebody's this? Jesus left heaven and came to earth for a simple message. God invites you to call him Father, wants to know you in a personal way our sin is such a big deal that the Son of God had to die for it and no matter how much we rationalize it or dismiss it, it is a big deal in the mind and the economy of God when we fail Him, when we disappoint Him, the sin in your life, the sin in my life so much so, so huge that His only Son had to die for it. And the only way for people to connect with the Father in a personal way is by receiving the gift of eternal life by inviting the Son into their life to accept His death burial, and resurrection as the forgiveness for their sin, to commit their lives to him. So how do we get off being okay with, I'm going to heaven, I'm cool, it's all taken care of, and not giving a damn that the people you know are going to hell. And what's really fascinating to me is some of you that are super churchy are much more bothered by the fact that I said damn than I said people that you know are going to hell. The only investments that really count are people. So what are you doing in this with what God's given you, your talent, your time, your resources? What are you doing in this to change somebody's this? Are you thinking at all about the next chapter when this is over? Because this is temporary. And most of what you consume yourself with, often in my life, most of what I consume myself with is not going with us. And then there's one other thought. And this one, a lot of you are not going to like this one. This life is simply a resume for what we will do and what we will have in eternity. I think sometimes we have this idea. I'm going to heaven, that's enough. When I get to heaven, God's going to bless me. If you read the pages of Scripture you're going to realize that not everybody has the same thing in heaven. Did you know that? Did you know what we do here and how we live here determines who we are and what we have there? How you use what God has given you, your time, your talent, your resources, to impact the lives of other people that he loves just as much as he loves you, How you live in a way that you live for others. Remember, Jesus was asked, what's the the big deal? Love God, love others. How you do that determines who you are and what you have there. Eternity, heaven, is going to be an extremely fair place in that you and I will get exactly what we deserve. (laughs) It cracks me up sometimes. People say, "I I I wish God was fair. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. If God was fair, I would be headed to hell. I'm glad he's not fair. So as a follower of Christ, man, I'm glad for grace that takes that whole fair thing out of the equation. I'm I'm grateful for mercy. But beyond that, when I get to heaven, he's going to be very fair. I think sometimes we also think heaven's just going to be boring. I mean, I'd rather go there because the temperature is a little bit better. But other than that, it's going to be boring. No, it won't. Jesus tells the story about a manager and you and I are on planet earth and during this season we are managing and there is absolutely nothing you have other than you that's really yours. And remember where he says, hey, those who are faithful in little will be faithful in much. If you're not trustworthy in little you won't be trustworthy in much. How how you navigate your time, your talents, your resources during this determines what you're going to manage there, what you're going to have there. Now, some of you, really, there's a pushback to this. You're like, no, I don't don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. So I'm going to do something I've never, ever done. On the next slide, I'm going to give you a bunch of references. Take a picture of this. Go home and study it for yourself. You're not arguing with me. You're arguing with the Bible. Go home and study it for yourself. What you do right now, this life is simply a resume for what you're going to have, who you're going to be when you get there. This matters, and God is watching, and God notices. And there are days, listen, do you remember Stephen? Stephen was the very first person that was killed because of his faith. And the Bible says right before Stephen died, he looked up toward heaven, and Jesus was standing. Do you live your life in a way, do I live my life in a way that that how I live gets a standing ovation from the living Son of God? Do I impact the lives of others? If my life were to cease to exist, does it matter to anybody other than they might miss me over sentimentality? In this, am I doing anything to affect people's eternity? Because the end of our life is a myth we should plan for beyond death. God's saying, you're not going to get here and stand before me and say, man, I wish wish in 2019 I would have invested more of my time in the local church that you called your bride. I wish I would have done that. No, 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 that excuse has been removed. You know now. Man, I I wish I would have used the gifts God's given me. I went to a church and I, I was okay with a few hundred people serving and I just came in as a consumer and sat in my seat and got thoroughly ticked off if I came in a little late and somebody had taken my seat. But I didn't do anything to me. Man, I wish I could go back and actually do something to help the movement that Jesus died for and rose again for and initiated to be able to be a help to other people. I wish I'd have thought more about others than myself. I wish I'd used what he blessed me with financially because none of the cars I bought or the houses I bought, none of the stuff I accumulated and even all the wealth that I gained in my stocks and mutual funds, none of that came with me. I wish I would have used my financial resources in this season to impact the lives of people in this season. And how you do that and how I do that determines who will be in this and what we'll have how much God allows you to manage. Do you know we'll be managing in eternity? The Bible says that we'll reign over different regions and some will be mayors and some will be governors and some will be kings and there's going to be a lot to do. What are you doing in this to show God you'll be trustworthy in this with more? What are you doing in this to show God that you're living for anybody other than you? So what do we do with that? Like, cool story on a Sunday, but how does that work Monday through Saturday? What what does that mean in my life? I, I wanna give you three tips for investing wisely. In this season, investing wisely. This is like a life plan. Three things that I think will help you and help me. The first one is be strategic about your investment and set goals. If you meet with a financial advisor about your retirement, they're going to talk about being strategic, some of the choices you have to make, and you're going to set some goals. Angie and I years ago decided we, we need to have some goals in this that will impact this. And so biblically, financially speaking, the, the scripture says the first 10% of my income belongs to the local church. You say, here you go talking about money. No, no, no. Remember, Jesus was talking about Talking to his disciples, the teaching is for the followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do this. If you are a follower of Jesus and you get hung up and upset when the pastor talks about money, you're probably robbing God and thieves are often very uncomfortable. All that he's done for me, all that he's blessed me with, and all he asks is 10%. That's a deal. Be strategic. Be strategic. So Angie and I, and I'm I'm not saying you should do this. I'm just telling you part of what we've done and trying to pray through and be strategic. It was a, okay, we we, we know it's 10%, but we want to live in a way where we're able to do 10% and more. We want to get to 15%, which we now have surpassed, and we want to get to 20%, which we're knocking on the door of. And I'm not bragging. I'm leading. I'm just saying to you, I couldn't ask you to have a plan, and it, it would be foolish and unwise and stupid for me to say, you should do this, but me not do this. And when I look at how God is blessed, we shouldn't live in the home we live in. I could tell you the stories of how we got it, but it's none of your business. We've given away vehicles. We've, I mean, the things that God has done in our lives, we have what we have because of him, not because of us. And on paper, it would make no sense at all. I can tell you about a real estate investment that was incredible. I can tell you about a relative that unexpectedly sent a very large amount of money to us. I I can tell you about things that happened, but none of that happened until we said, okay, okay, we're gonna be strategic and we're we're gonna do this the way you say, God. None of it happened before that. So be strategic in this about your investment that's going to impact this and set some goals. Spend more focus, or at least as much, on the strategy and the goals for this as you do for right here. He said you can't serve both God and money. So the question is, God and stuff, which one do you sacrifice for? Because the one you sacrifice more for will show you the one that you actually are serving. The one that you think about and plan for and strategize more for will show you the one that you're actually serving day by day. And I'm afraid a lot of people that know Jesus and are trying in some areas spend so much time serving in things that are only going to matter right here and only will ultimately benefit themselves and very little time serving what's going to matter here. Investing in what's going to matter here. Be strategic and set some About your investments and set goals Second, start with just one person Whose life are you impacting here That it's going to make all the difference In eternity Forever Well, I'm just the kind of person That I just, I love everybody I try to be light to everybody That's just who I am You know what I've noticed? Often loving everybody is an excuse To not love somebody I just try to be a good person Generally speaking that, that doesn't matter. Who is it? Who is the somebody that you're praying for, you're building a relationship with? You're strategically saying, okay, God, would you please today, this week, open some doors for me to have the conversations, to say, hey, we went through something like that in our marriage, and here's what it did in our lives, and, and oh man, I, I dealt with a financial situation. Kind of a setback, and here's what we learned from it, and here's what I'm still learning. And yeah, I, years ago, I had some temper issues, and here's one of the things God showed me. And man, I'm still on a journey, I'm still learning, I haven't arrived, but something that's been very helpful is my church. I know that sounds crazy because a lot of people's context of, of church, but I'd, I'd love you just to try it once. Maybe try C3. It's been so helpful to me in my marriage, in my parenting, with my job, dealing with difficult people, raising kids struggling through life with so many of the same issues. It's it's almost like life coaching every week from a spiritual perspective. I I think you could get a lot out of it. just, Just try it once and see what you think. Who is the one person before this year is over that you're asking God to use you in this to change their this? Start with one person, just one, so that one day when you stand before God, People won't say, hey, who who lives down that street where nobody else is even on the street? Who's down there? Oh, that's the guy that didn't invest in anybody. Who's going to be waiting for you there, glad to see you there, not because they're related to you, but because you made a difference in their lives? Who are you taking with you? Because this goes by like that. When When life slows down, when I get that next job, right now I'm just... I'm really busy, and we're going through kind of a stressful uh, season, and it's just kind of rough right now. I'm dealing with some things personally. I got some stuff. Welcome to life. If you think life is going to get easier, it's not. One of the things I've discovered, as you get older, it gets more complicated. I I remember when the kids were little thinking, dear God in heaven, how do we do this forever? And and then as they got older, it's like, oh, my gosh, what boy called you? Who left something out under the bushes on the front porch for you and didn't have the courtesy to knock on the door? I'm going to kill him. I didn't kill him. I called him and told him, don't ever come here again. And he didn't. He didn't. I fixed it. But, but the things you have to worry about. And then about the time you get done raising them, you're not done raising them. And then you start growing more hair in your ears than your head. It's going to happen to you too. Listen, there's never gonna be a moment in life where you think, okay, everything's in order. The marriage is great, the kids are great, the finances are great, I got a little bit of extra time. Let me toss God a tip. You're never gonna live that moment. And the people that make a difference here and the reason this church even exists is because of people who don't have time, but they give it anyway. People who don't have resources, but they give it anyway. People whose lives aren't perfect, but they invite anyway. That's why we exist. Start with just, who is your one person? One person. Third tip for investing wisely. Investing is easier when we realize it isn't our money. <laughs> it's, it's not your money. And it's easier. Th- that manager, remember what he did? Oh, oh, you, you owe 1,000? I just paid 800. It wasn't his. You owe 500 pay 200 It's not his. When you and I have the approach and the understanding that what I have, it's not mine. In this, I am only managing. And how I manage determines who I am and what I have for this. Don't be short-sighted. Don't mismanage here and then have to live with the consequences of that forever. Yes, if you're a Christ follower, you get heaven but that is a low bar because somebody else paid for that for you. So what are you asking God to do in your life here that's going to matter here? So how do I do that? three tips for investing wisely. Be strategic about your investment and set goals. Start with just one person. Investing is easier when we realize it isn't our money. How how do I focus on, how do I embrace that it's not mine anyway? How do I get to that place that I'm gonna start bringing the 10%, the tithe that the Bible says if I'm not doing is robbing God? And rather than being angry when I hear that, listen, how angry would you be when you stand before God one day and he says, look, the bald guy that gets kind of excited sometimes told you about this. And the only reason you didn't step into it is because you're selfish. Because you think more of yourself and you're more concerned about you than the people Jesus died for. Now, you might be here and you might say, man, I, I lost my job. I mean, tithing. Let me ask you a question. What's 10% of zero? Zero. This isn't about... A, listen, God, it's, it's a percentage. 10% of zero, even in Louisiana, still zero. Kind of a texas snob sometimes listen that that's just around, th- 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 listen it's not and it's not about some ritual or some rule because when you step into this and you understand this is so temporary plan for this and, and tithing is talked about in the old testament but jesus takes it up in the new testament and he doesn't diminish it he increases it grace and mercy don't knock things down they take things up So for us, it's not about, oh, I want to someday get to 10%. No, no, no. That's the starting point because everything else you do in this matters for this. So let me give you a couple of bonus things. This is bonus. This is beyond the three tips. Start praying every day thanking God for what you have. Every single day, start praying thanking God for what you have. Being grateful for what God's given you not only helps reset your mind to understand it's not yours anyway, It also will break the back and the poison of greed and materialism in your life. As you pull away from that house, God, thank you for that house. It belongs to you, God. Thank you for what I'm driving. God, thank you for what you do. That bank statement, God, thank you for that. Some of you, you, you may wish it was more, but I wonder what God might do. How much do you do for your kids when they thank you more? When you have a correct perspective, start praying every day, thanking God for what you have. I don't know if I should say the next one. It's true. But I realize the moment I say it, some of you are going to go, ah. But I'm going to say it anyway because the ones of you that grab what I'm about to say, it's going to change your life. Start giving it away and see what happens. Start giving it away and see what happens. Years ago, we were moving. We were cleaning out the kids' closet, and I don't remember which one it was, but I remember in their closet, I found some Chuck E. Cheese coins, and I thought, what a waste. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken your kids to Chuck E. Cheese, but these are only valuable at Chuck E. Cheese. You can't do anything else with these in life, and so maybe you take your kids to Chuck E. Cheese, and you you try to eat that unique pizza. (laughs) But but as you go in, because you're a goal setter, you, you say to the kids, okay, which prize are we going for? And you look on the wall, and they point to one, and you're like, no, that's going to take eight million uh, little tickets, and we're not going to spend five years here, so let's, let's adapt. Um, and, and, and so you pick one. Okay, it takes 500 tickets. Let's go. You get the couple of coins. I know they don't do that anymore, but this was back in the day. Now they give you a piece of plastic because they're teaching you to go in debt quicker. But... but they used to have a cup of coins And so you get the coins And give them to your kids And they start going And you're getting the tickets And what would you do If you notice one of your kids Saying You say hey You, you want to play this one now No You want to play this one now No What about this No I just I want to keep these They're shiny Son they, they have a rat's head on them <laughs> They're only good in here These are only good In this house when you take these out of here, they are of no value. And I think part of what God is trying to communicate to you and to me is, hey, your stuff, it's only good on this planet. It's only good in this house. You're walking around wanting the shiny stuff, but when you're gone, it's of no value. It doesn't go with you. You invest in something where you get the prize, you get the reward, which is people. People then that goes with you out of there and you have it forever. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's the only reason you're still here. Because impacting the lives of people who don't know God, inviting your neighbor, your coworker, your classmate, your teammate, your friend, your family member, making investments in people's lives, people who don't know Jesus, it's the only thing that we can still do here that we won't do there. You won't lead anybody to Jesus in heaven. You won't invite anybody to church in heaven. You'll pray in heaven. You'll worship in heaven. You'll even give in heaven. But we have this to make sure as many people go with us and experience this. So the thing that you've got to do if you want the life God that created you to live, is think about how you spend what you have. How do you spend your time? Are you making a decision once a day? God, I'm going to do something today with my time that impacts this. I'm going to do something today with my resources that impacts this. I'm going to do something today with my gifts that impacts this. How are you spending what God has asked you to manage? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Father, I pray for every person in this room as we think about this passage, this story, Jesus, that you told. And I pray it would create a moment in our lives that we allow to create a momentum in our lives. Thinking about the next chapter, planning for what's next. Thinking about eternity. I pray that it would change how we serve how we give, how we invite, how we build relationships. I pray this week we would be strategic and seeing people the way you see people. Help us see people through your eyes, even difficult people. God, use us to help more people know you. Use us to invest in your local church that is the hope of the world. Help us to use our time, our talents, what we're managing here in a way that blesses you and blesses others. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know that the greatest need in your life is to commit your life to Christ. Man, I want to encourage you to just pray a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer, and as you pray this prayer, you can commit your life to Christ. If that's what you'd like to do, in, in the quietness of your heart or out loud, however you'd like, you just say, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life and forgive my sin. Thank you for loving me. In Christ's name, amen.